0: Let's go back to Luke chapter 15. We read the third of three parables earlier on, but now I want to go back and look at the first two parables, Luke 15 verses 1 through 10. As we kind of draw to conclusion our look at evangelism over these last several weeks, we started out by looking at some styles of evangelism that we saw in the Bible and various uh, characters that fit their personalities and that fit uh, certain people they might reach out to and we uh, focused on, on thinking a little bit about our own styles and how that might fit us. We talked a little bit about a formula for impact, that we, we need to be salt and light and what what that means in terms of, of reaching out to others. And then we looked last week on Pentecost Sunday at the role of the Holy Spirit, that we can't do any of this uh, without the Holy Spirit's power. And Now I want to look at one last thing that could have easily been Uh, one of the first things we dealt with in Luke 15, and that is, how does evangelism fit in our theology? How does the whole idea of salvation and evangelism fit together? And what we'll see in these parables, including the third one that we read already, is that the theology of Jesus differs from the church of his day. The church being, the, in this case, uh, some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law that came and, and questioned them, And we're going to talk a little bit about how that uh, is the case. How not only the theology of evangelism, but even salvation um, was a little bit different in Jesus' mind. And when we, when we talk about theology, as we did earlier, we often look at the book of Romans, which is very heavy in theology as Paul explains things in his own intellectual way. But when Jesus wants to explain theology, he tells stories. And we looked at one already, but now we're going to look at the first two, uh, the stories uh, of lostness, a lost sheep, a lost coin, and then, of course, a lost son. So let's focus just on the first two of those parables this morning, Luke 15, verses 1 through 10. And as I often will tell you, pay attention to the context here. Look at the context. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So what we see right at the outset is Jesus is speaking to two different crowds, very different, a group that were often known as sinners and a group that thought themselves righteous. And we're going to look at how Jesus answers that and, and those particular definitions, but, but also how he answers the question that, that some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law were asking, why do you spend time with these sinners? And Jesus answers that with these three parables. But let's look at just the first two. Verse three, then Jesus told them this parable, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me! I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then, of course, Jesus told that third parable about the lost son We'll reference that a little bit, but our focus will be on these first two. As we do that, let's come to God in prayer. God, the Holy Spirit, we pray that even as you empowered us at, at Pentecost to be the church and to reach out to others, and even as you uh, gave people like Luke the ability to, to uh, hear and, and uh, research and write things about your life and and do it in such a way that not a not a word has been dropped that all has been inspired now we pray that you would inspire this word to us today and speak to each one of us individually in a way that that a, a single pastor from a pulpit cannot we pray this all in jesus name amen at one of my previous churches we were amassing an accumulation of, of stuff that was left kind of like all over the church by people. And uh, finally the custodians and I kind of got our heads together and we decided to put up a big lost and found pay- table right in the, the fellowship hall, the entry, which was also served as the entryway uh, to the church, and give people a month to claim their item or items, or it would be donated to a local charity. Now, I happened to have my office right off the Fellowship Hall in that church, and so I happened to wander by that table a lot, and there were some things of value there, little electronic games and dolls and, and all, all kinds of things. There was stuff of value there. But apparently not to those who had lost them. Maybe they didn't notice them missing or didn't bother to check or didn't recognize them when they saw them. But we ended up donating over three-quarters of the lost items. So the question of value was not answered by the price tag, but rather by people's concern or lack of concern over the missing item. Well, that was happening in Jesus' day as well. There were many people who were falling through the cracks because they were lost and no one really cared and no one was going out to find them they didn't have any value but when jesus was on earth he spent a lot of time browsing over the lost and found table of the world it was why god sent him but then some of the pharisees uh, and teachers of the law saw this and murmured, why do you spend so much time with all that junk? Hookers, crooked IRS agents, druggies, and the like. And in these two parables, and actually the third as well, Jesus answers that question. And his answer is basically this, because they are mine. They're lost, and I've come to find them. Now, before looking at the parables themselves, we need to understand some definitions, especially definition of sinner. So we're going to start with the church's definition. Now, I say church for a couple of reasons instead of Pharisees. And uh, one was because they were, in essence, the church, the, the religious leaders of the day. But secondly, also to shake us up a little bit, to get us to ask, is this the definition of the church today? Is this our definition? Well, there are two main categories. The first I want to look at is righteous. Righteous. A righteous person was considered to be a lawkeeper. A law keeper. This was a person who kept the law, the Torah of God, the commandments. But but more than just God's law, because over the years then, the sages and the the rabbis came up with different interpretations and different additional laws. For example, God said, rest on the Sabbath, but since he didn't explain that in detail, uh, they came up with 39 Uh, different categories of work that you could not do on the the sabbath and they had all of these stipulations based on just that one commandment and they so they had a carefully worked out system of the law and they believed that if you stayed within it god would lay out the red carpet for you and welcome you joyfully into heaven now jesus echoes their theology in verse seven when he talks about righteous persons who do not need to repent? Now, Jesus is undoubtedly saying this tongue in cheek. He's undoubtedly saying this with heavy sarcasm, the idea that that righteous people did not need to repent, and they didn't get it. Because that was actually their theology. No, why should I repent? I'm a righteous person. I I keep the law. Well, what then was a sinner? If a righteous person was a law keeper, the sinner was a law breaker. Law breaker. A person who broke their laws. Tax collectors, drunks, prostitutes, but even others on the outside like lepers who couldn't come into the temple because of their disease or shepherds who, who were f- figured as being dirty and unclean and who, who, else, who knows what else they do and, and other undesirables. Now, there was a slight hope for sinners. They could repent, which meant to confess their sins and make compensation. That is, works of repentance, the Pharisees called this, works of repentance. Confess their sins and and make compensation, works of repentance in order to demonstrate their sincerity. But there was no fellowship between these two groups, sinners and the righteous, lest the righteous might be contaminated by the sinners. And yet now Jesus is speaking to those two groups right there next to each other. And you can almost see the Pharisees avoiding contact, turning their faces away from the 90-proof the breath of the drunk, probably went home, scrubbed themselves, and, and washed their clothes. And Jesus was eating with these people. And in the Middle Eastern culture, Especially then, but, but even today, table fellowship indicates acceptance, brotherhood, that if I invited you to my table, I was saying you're my brother, you're my sister, or if you invited me and I accepted, I would, we would be saying the same thing, loyalty to each other. But according to the Pharisees, you can't accept them until they jump through the hoops of the law until they repent. Now, Jesus' definition differed from that of the Pharisees. And we have to ask, does it differ from us? A sinner was a lawbreaker and a lawkeeper. A lawbreaker and a lawkeeper. Radio preacher Steve Brown used to say there are two kinds of people. Sinners who know it and those who don't, and those who know it are in the church. But not in this case. The Pharisees would have turned white at the idea that they were included as sinners. But, as we read earlier, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that was not just Paul saying it in the New Testament, he was quoting from the Old Testament. Everyone needs repentance. And the definition of repentance, according to these parables, is letting Jesus find you. Letting Jesus find you. That is, it's not about earning your way into God's good grace, into God's good graces, but accepting God's good grace. It's not about working to earn something that God might give you, but it's simply accepting the grace that he has shown to us in Jesus Christ. So who then is a righteous? Well, the righteous are those being found and brought to God's table into intimate relationship with God. Elsewhere, according to Jesus, these so-called sinners were actually closer to being righteous than the self-righteous church. Now, did you ever notice that that sinners of Jesus day didn't feel comfortable with the self righteous church but perfectly comfortable with the holy and perfect son of god Is that true of us Do we make sinners and I should say other sinners do we make other sinners comfortable or uncomfortable Are we accepting and treat people with grace or are we judgmental and look down on them? Larry Richards once wrote, Today, if you and I maintain that warm, intimate relationship with God that is the true source of holiness, we too can reach out lovingly to the outcasts of our society and be welcomed by them. But if our holiness is a front, a pretense, maintained by desperately following modern rule of do's and don'ts, we, too, will fear and be repelled by the outcasts of our society. It all depends on our approach. It all depends on whether we see ourselves when Jesus talks about sinners, when the New Testament talks about sinners. We see ourselves as in that category of sinners who have been found and now want to help bring others into relationship with him. Do we include ourselves As lost sinners, before Christ came into our lives, do we first accept being found and then go out to find others? Well, given that background, Jesus assumes that the Pharisees won't admit to being sinners. But at least he wants them to rejoice and not murmur in his mission. In fact, Jesus even tries to include them in his mission. Note that he starts the parables, suppose you... Suppose one of you, and then he identifies them first with a shepherd, which is in the top ten list of least desirable jobs and most unclean people, and then a woman. Jesus is is poking fun at their self-righteousness. But the two main points of the parable are these, finding the lost and being found. Finding the lost and being found. Finding the lost is Jesus' task. That's the role that the Bible gives to him. At the end of that story about Jesus and another sinner, Zacharias, Zacchaeus, and, and going to his house, at the very end of that story, when they're questioning Jesus about how he could do that, he said, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Where did he get that? Well, it's it's written across the pages of the Old Testament, but most clearly in Ezekiel 34 where God himself says, I'm going to send a new David, and he's going to come, and his job description is to be to seek and save the lost sheep of Israel. A few weeks ago, we talked about the party Matthew threw for his, his IRS buddies and his church, his church buddies so that they could intermingle and get to know each other. And again, we hear murmuring from some of the Pharisees, and Jesus again answers them by saying it's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick for i've not come to call the righteous but sinners finding the lost that's jesus role as lost sinners our only role in our salvation is being found that make you feel a little helpless our only role in our salvation is being found repentance is not working our way back into god's favor but like a lost sheep simply to accept being found and carried back on the shoulders of the good shepherd but there's a couple of other things that we sometimes miss in this in these parables that i want to point out because i think they're a crucial part of what jesus is saying specifically to the church of that day and thus to us. And one has to do with sinners' value. Jesus' mission, rummaging through the lost and found table of the world, implies value there. The, the Pharisees would have said it's just junk. Nothing salvageable, no value. But there's definite value in the parables. The sheep is one of 100. That's a significant part of a family's livelihood. And they all understood it was worth going through a huge wilderness of snakes and scorpions, lions and bears, millions of nooks and crannies, in order to find that one lost sheep. They appreciated that a shepherd would look until he found. The coin was one of ten coins, so an increasing value. And by the time we get to the third parable, it's one of two sons. This coin is not merely a day's wage because most women would not be working for, for uh, a wage. It was undoubtedly a dowry coin, often worn as part of a headdress, but the dowry coin, coins were from her father when she married. These coins showed her worth in the eyes of her father and also allowed her to come into that marriage with her own resources. And so she had an identity as her own person. And these coins were the symbol of that identity as a person. This is how Jesus pictures us sinners. Valuable enough to give his life for. Made in God's image, part of the treasure his father gave him, and therefore precious in his sight. Is this how we see ourselves and others? But one of the most important aspects of these parables, including the prodigal son parable that follows, is the call for family and friends to rejoice over the finding. I I'd make a case that while we focus on all the rest of the par, part of the parable, this was Jesus' main point for the Pharisees. This is what he wanted them to get. The rejoicing in the parables, Jesus says, reflects the joy in heaven over one sinner found. In verse 7, to the Pharisees who thought they pleased God, Jesus said, look at these sinners. There is more joy in heaven over one of them found than over 99 of you. Righteous persons who don't need to repent. So this is Jesus' call to the Pharisees and to us. Kenneth Bailey reminds us that the lost sheep is a community loss. The recovered sheep is an occasion for joy for all the neighbors. Even so, the sinner is lost from the community, and it's natural to expect communal joy at his recovery, not murmuring. And so Jesus is saying, rejoice with me, He's saying, I know you're probably not going to go out and have table fellowship with these folks. I know that you're probably not going to try to to, uh, rescue them from being lost. But at the very least, rejoice and don't murmur when I do it. As a Christian church, we're called to continue Jesus' mission to find the lost. But at the very least, to rejoice and not murmur over Jesus finding the lost. Is this true of us? When Archimedes, the philosopher of ancient Syracuse, discovered the principle to help test the purity of gold, he was sitting in a community bath at the time. He leaped out of the bath and without clothing himself, ran naked down the street to his home shouting, Eureka! Which, for those of you who know who Greek means, I found it. Today, though with a little more common sense, we must have at least as much enthusiasm as Archimedes, as lost sinners running toward God, shouting, He found me! And as a church, rejoicing as Christ brings in more lost. He found them. Will the joy in heaven over lost sinners found resound in our church and in our lives? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, that, you have, that we were lost and you reached out and found us. Now help us to, as found sinners, reach out to others who are still lost and show them your love and remind them of Jesus' amazing grace. We pray this all in his name. Amen.